We talked last episode about how Delta, by raising revenues, did a pretty good job in clawing back all the money it's spending on fuel. Since then, we've heard from United, who did an even better job in that department. United saw a 42% year-over-year increase in third-quarter fuel costs, and despite that, United's operating profit margin fell only slightly, from 11.6% to 11.1%. Seth, how impressive is that? Very impressive. Okay, I'm sure we'll get more in-depth answers answers from Seth later in the show. <laughs> I'm Jason Cottrell, one of the founders of Airline Weekly, and that was the usually very talkative Seth Kaplan, <laughs> also a founding member and one of the editors of Airline Weekly. We have a big hill to climb today as we try to round up the entire third quarter earnings picture from airlines in the U.S. While United soared, American limped along. Alaska is showing signs of turning things around. Southwest is happy. Hawaiian is happy. Spirit is happy. JetBlue and Allegiant, not so much. Those are the headlines. But if you want a little more detail, step into the Airline Weekly Lounge. Starting the show with United, who didn't beat Delta's operating profit margin. Delta's number was 14% versus United's 11%. But United did win in one regard. They did a better job holding on to their year-over-year margin. Delta's slipped from 16 to 14%, while United's only slipped from 116 to 11.1%. Seth, does this really matter? Why are we talking about margin slippage rather than just margin? Well, because it's the trend, right? Uh, so, of course, sure, in the absolute, you'd rather have Delta's 14% than United's, well, you know, rounding uh, 12%. Uh, but if you're United trying to catch Delta, and if Delta keeps slipping at Delta's pace and United keeps slipping at, at that pace that United's slipping at, well, eventually United would catch Delta, right? Doesn't mean it's going to happen. Delta has, has a lot going right also. But no, it, it, very impressive uh, considering what's gone on in, in terms of fuel prices to have to absorb all those increasing costs, all those increasing fuel costs, and, and, and manage to have your profit margins slip uh, as as little as United's uh, did. So un- unambiguously uh, good news uh, for United Airlines. And unsurprisingly, United was able to achieve its margin preservation by improving revenues. What were those numbers and how did they come about? Yeah, it's the only way to do it right now. Uh, you're, you're, you're probably not slashing overall cost in, a, in an inflationary fuel environment, uh, notwithstanding the fact that fuel costs are, are, are at least off their recent highs. United's total revenues rose 11% on just 5% more capacity managed, measured by ASMs, its available seat miles. Uh, so that 11%, that was more than Delta's 8%. Delta's case on just 4% more capacity, but still relative to the capacity increases, what United did was uh, was even more uh, impressive, uh, better than what management itself had 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 expected and 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 guided. Uh, unit revenues were up six percent, uh, so so just a really good story all around. Uh, the one major geography where that wasn't the case was Latin America, which you know all U.S. airlines are pretty much all airlines from around the world are experiencing that, uh, certainly in deep Lat- uh, deep South America. But uh, guess what? United um, doesn't depend too much on Latin America um, as, as, a, as an overall part of its network. It's, it's, it's a fairly well-balanced network with exposure to, to, to Europe, a lot of exposure to Asia, uh, a fair amount of exposure to, uh, to Latin America, but, but not so much that, you know, that, that the good news everywhere else 
wouldn't be enough to offset what happened in Latin America. Very clearly, uh, the, the good news everywhere every else was more than enough to offset that. Those mid-continent hubs, Chicago, Houston, and Denver that United's really been focusing on has said that uh, you know they, they were you know, underserved and underperforming, at least relative to their potential. They, they grew at those three hubs. 10% overall. So 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 greatly in excess of that overall, uh, what was it, 5%, I said, increasing capacity uh, with more of those small city feeder flights, uh, rebanking those hubs for better connectivity. Um, and, and sure enough, unit revenues at those hubs were up 7%. Uh, and and the other hubs uh, have, have have improved too, albeit not as much. So uh, yeah, uh, just a lot more good news than bad for for United. And this good third quarter follows a good second quarter in which United was surprisingly resilient. What does this mean in the big picture? Has United put its troubles behind it? Is Scott Kirby uh, working out? In short, is this a new era for United? Well, that's what you always want to see is sort of that confirmation. I mean, any you know, one quarter can always be a blip. For for any airline, whether a really good quarter or a really bad quarter, uh, and, and United, yeah, we were rather encouraged uh, by by their performance after the second quarter. Uh, but then you want to see more, and uh, in the third quarter, we saw more from them. You know, that this is you now it's been a while that they've been doing what they've been doing at those hubs, what we described, the rebanking and, and adding all the all the new connectivity. Yeah, by the way, they've improved their operations. You know, it, it, we're now what a, a year and a half since. Dr. Dow was dragged off the plane, you know, nothing like that happening uh, more, more recently, that kind of a high profile incident. And so, uh, so yeah, it, if anything, there were high hopes when Scott Kirby uh, went to United, uh, you know, he has, he has an excellent reputation in the industry and, 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 you know, for a while there, it seemed like, okay, well, where's, where are the results? Uh, you know, if you kind of looked at their, at their share price, you know, there's all this, all this exuberance when he got there and then some disappointment. But now here we have, yeah, a couple really good quarters. Uh, and, and it seems like you can trace what's happening uh, in, in terms of the, the headline numbers uh, to what they're doing, you know, at their hubs and elsewhere uh, with, with their operation and so forth. It all indications anyway, are that things are, are working out as, as planned there. And maybe just maybe finally, uh, this airline that just kind of underperformed over the decades, you know, under lots of different management teams, lots of different strategies, you know, the big merger with Continental, which was, which was cause for optimism, but that sort of gave way to yet more disappointment. Maybe they're, they're finally uh, turning the corner and, and living up to the promise of, of, of a network that when you look at, you know, where they have their hubs, uh, just, just, you know, all the, all the biggest uh, cities, the best economic centers um, in, in the U.S. And, and some uh, good partnerships around the world. So uh, for a long time, it seemed like they should be able to do it. But but maybe we asked, you know, maybe was there just something structural about United that they couldn't? Well, here we have them definitely uh, put, putting up uh, numbers that are separating themselves from, from American, at least closer to Delta than American, although still a fair bit of ground to catch up before they could, uh, to make up rather before they could catch Delta. So while United seems to be rising and thus living up to the promise of their late 90s ad campaign, American <laughs> Airlines seems to be going the opposite direction. How's that for a euphemism? American posted a 7.5% operating profit margin in the third quarter. Obviously, that's well below Delta's and United's. It's also well below American's results a year earlier when it posted a 12% margin. Yeah, most definitely going in the wrong direction. Uh, and, and, and like I said, if anything, you know, there was the, a few years ago, we were asking, 
could American catch Delta? You know, they, they were the ones, if anything, that that seemed to be showing, uh, uh, you know, those signs that maybe they were beginning to nip at Delta's heels. And now that that, that seems like a silly question. It's well, we, we just said it a minute ago. Can 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 United uh, catch Delta? I don't know if they can, but between the two of them, uh, you know, United seems to be going in the uh, in the better direction. And it's mostly a, a revenue story here. You know, their cost performance it was it was a little bit worse than uh, than United's. You know, let's see there. Uh, total operating costs were up 11%. Uh, so that was about the same as, as Delta and United, but American grew less. So, you know, you would expect their costs to grow less too. They didn't. But, you know, that doesn't really explain um, the, what what happened here. You know, fuel costs were up, were up a little more than, than at Delta and United. But again, not really enough to explain it. Really a, really a revenue story. Americans grew only 5%. Uh, compared to eight percent at Delta, and as we said earlier, eleven percent at United. Uh, so now, even even if you take into account that American grew a little bit less, so there too, you would expect revenues to grow a little bit less. But 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 that's beyond what you would expect. Uh, so so their their unit revenues, which of course does take into account the the capacity growth, uh, just three percent unit revenue or, or re- revenue per available seat mile RASM growth was was weaker than what happened at, at United American. Now, uh, you know, as for why, I mean, look, it's not all Americans' fault. Remember what I said before about Latin America? You know, the, this this one weak region for United, but not too big of a problem for United, considering where their exposure is. Well, that same problem is a big problem for American. Uh, you know, they, they are by far the biggest airline to Latin America, very much, you know, as, as Latin America goes, um, so goes American Airlines to a degree. I mean, it's not the majority of their exposure, but much more important to them than, than it is uh, to United American. Miami is, is the Latin American hub. You know, this, it's, it's a boom bust region. It is. And, and when things are good there, and sometimes they are, it, it's, it's American that benefits most. American's Miami hub benefits most uh, at a time like this. Uh, they're they're going to suffer. They uh, had, had some bad luck with the, you know, the, the hurricanes were more of a problem for them. That's kind of went into the fourth quarter here as well. Again, that doesn't, we're talking about tens of millions of dollars for a you know $40 billion company. It doesn't mostly explain it. Their hubs, uh, Philadelphia is under tra- under attack by Frontier. Uh, they have some very competitive markets like New York and Los Angeles. It, it's 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 an airline that uh, needs to needs to figure out something revenue wise. Interestingly, even basic economy. Note that American felt like it had to match Delta in including a, a, a full size carry on bag with basic economy. United didn't do that. Kind of interesting. Kind of hard to with American and United being so directly competitive uh, you know, in a place like Chicago O'Hare. I don't exactly know how to explain why it seems to be okay for United what it's doing with sort of the stingier basic economy product and, and not working for American. But for whatever reason, you know, American felt like it was uh, – it was uh, spilling too much share to United. Another thing, you know, United uh, things are rebounding in Asia. That that's that's been good for United. You know, American not a huge presence in Asia compared to United, uh, although it has a great joint venture with Japan Airlines. But you know, there too, those Chinese routes from Chicago they ended the flights to Beijing and Shanghai. You know, hard to say because United hasn't said how those routes are doing for it. But for whatever reason, you know, I don't know whether they were doing worse for American than they are for United or if United just you know, feels like that's more of a core thing, core part of what it does, or if 
United's just making more money, so it feels like it can tolerate losses in a few routes in a way American can't. But uh, you know, for whatever reason, those those uh, seem to be uh, dragging down an American in a way that they uh, that they weren't United. American has issues, you know, of which they're well aware. Um, to see if they could solve them. And management seems to remain optimistic. Do you think this is a temporary situation and that American will soon return to form? Look, some of it is is just bad luck. Um, you know, Latin America, it's, it's cyclical. At some point, e- either things are going to get better there economically or competitive capacity is going to come down to a point where, you know, you, you can always at some point dial down capacity to a point where where uh, where revenues stabilize. Uh, you know, I'm not sure the electoral result in Brazil is going to inspire much confidence. Um, you've got now the, of course, the results of the uh, the Mexico City airport referendum. Now, Mexico itself is is a bit more, uh, you know, Mexico is important to United too with its with it with its uh, Houston hub. So it's more, you know, especially Central South America where we're. Uh, where, where, where American has a lot more exposure. But anyway, you know, at, at some point, things will stabilize there. Joint ventures, American has kind of been unlucky in in, in the regard that it's, uh, it really has two big joint ventures that it wants to launch with, you know, with LATAM in, in South America uh, and with Qantas that have both been held up by uh, by regulators, right? So, you know, where would, where would, Delta B, if if two really important joint ventures hadn't gone off the ground, right? Where would United be? So you know that's that that's something that's got to be frustrating them, and, and and it's an opportunity if they can get past those regulatory hurdles. Uh, you you've got to think that that uh, that that would be uh, very helpful. You know, in terms of anything they could do for themselves, you asked me before at Scott Kirby, I had uh, gotten indications that that American was sort of even as United sort of rebanks its hubs and and builds feeds that American was. Uh, not to nearly the same degree, but going in the other direction, de-peaking the banks at its hubs a little bit. And I asked American that last week, and and a spokesperson confirmed for me that uh, that they've made some changes. I uh, sort of asked, you know, for more specifics, they didn't provide them, but just sort of confirmed that 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 understanding that I had was correct. They they've actually de-peaked. The banks a bit, uh, so that's a little bit of a different philosophy. You know, Scott Kirby, and he showed up at American. They rebanked the hubs and did what you know, that's what happens at a Scott Kirby airline. Then leaves, goes to United. United's doing that. You know, American under its president Scott uh, Robert Isom, who's who's um, sort of comes from more of the operational background. Scott Kirby, more of a commercial guy, of course. These people have have all, you know, over the years uh, learned a lot about the other side of, of the other respective side of your business. But anyway, a little bit of a different philosophy there. Hard to say, you know, whether that adds up to anything that's showing up here in the results. But uh, but just interesting that that Americans' uh, current management team seems to think that um, that it went too far in uh, rebanking the hubs. At least if you sort of judge, I don't want to overstate any of this, but if you if, if you judge by by that, a subtle at least de-peaking of, uh, of some of the banks. These are airlines as much as it's, you know, this hyper-competitive industry and these airlines that all kind of provide, you know, to some degree similar uh, products and services. Uh, they don't all see the world the same the same way. Let's talk about the big U.S. airline that's not part of the big three, Southwest had a very Delta-like operating profit margin of 14%, down from nearly 17% the year before. But unlike with the big three, fuel didn't play that big of a role in Southwest's margin declines. Right. And that's because Southwest, uh, at this point, unusually uh, for, for a big U.S. airline, still hedges fuel fair, fairly aggressively. Give American, by the way, credit for you know really changing the industry uh, in terms of getting everybody, all, all the big players away from active fuel hedging. Uh, they That management team, 
dating back to the U.S. Airways almost a decade ago at this point, basically felt that fuel hedging was a big waste of money. And their competitors kind of stood on the sidelines for years and watched, you know, waiting for all of the money they were spending on hedges to to to, to finally pay off. And, and they sort of concluded that, yeah, you know, American was was uh, was right. One of a number of things, by the way, American's been right about. Don't mean to be uh, too negative on them, uh, despite their their current uh, underperformance. But but yeah, so so Southwest fuel increased just 11%. On the other hand, fuel prices didn't drop nearly as far for Southwest when fuel was cheap because of those hedges, which which became uh, wrong way hedges. What else could Southwest do to generate revenues besides charging for bags, that is? Yeah, bags, bags, bags. Uh, well, they could charge for seat assignments, right? I mean, first they'd have to offer seat assignments, of course, as an open seating airline. They could charge for itinerary changes, which they, which they still don't do, you know, Customers love not paying for bags, not paying to change their itineraries. Some people like open seating. Uh, I think everybody likes not paying, at least for seat assignments, but those, but those are opportunities, revenue opportunities. Uh, they could go into the the OTAs, the online travel agencies. I'm talking about Expedia and, and, and its competitors. You know, their Southwest likes dealing directly with customers uh, with direct bookings. There, there is no doubt that there is, you know, there's, there's some amount of business that, that it leaves on the table. I mean, there's some amount of share out there. Somebody, uh, you know, when they're booking an airline ticket, goes to Expedia or, or Priceline or wherever uh, looking for an airline ticket and uh, doesn't think to uh, to check Southwest. So, you know, that's, that's an opportunity too. But yeah, no, this is an airline that's, that's, that's doing very well uh, and it's certainly not one. I mean, their orientation is not to rock the boat when things are going okay, even if there are those opportunities. Um, so, you know, that said, you know, Southwest revenue performance has, has been, uh, it's been very good. Um, it's really, if anything, more of its pressure is on the cost side. Uh, as you said, Jason, not, not fuel costs in its case for most airlines, that's what's, you know, sort of spiked. Um, but for them, it, it, it it's, it's non-fuel costs that have, uh, uh, that have gone up, uh, all this though for an airline that's, uh, that's doing better than most. It was a winning quarter for Southwest. It was also one for Spirit. In fact, Spirit did an even better job than United did in offsetting increased fuel costs. They didn't have the best margins of the U.S. carriers at 16.1%, but it was close. And if we looked at last year's Q3, Spirit has moved from the middle of the pack to nearly the front. How did they do it? Yeah, really impressive. This was an airline that seemed like it was maybe, you know, losing its way at at, at one point there. I mean, you said it, you know, their their costs were up uh, 32%. I mean, it's not alarming because they grew their capacity 25%. But what, what's, you know, what's really impressive is that 32% increase in costs was matched by a 32% increase in revenues. Um, so, so they really, uh, they, they really got there in terms of, you know, just fully recovering uh, the fuel costs. Basically, they, they raised prices, especially peak period pricing, peak period fares went up. And that's despite, you know, other airlines have said it's really premium demand that's been so robust. Uh, Spirit doesn't really get much of that. So yeah, no, it's it, it better revenue management, they've, they've said, and, and uh, the numbers seem to bear it out. They've kind of been more surgical with the network, really trimming, you know, after Labor Day, just, you know, cut capacity in, in markets where demand is low. They sort of trim their network, their schedule rather in like late January and early February, again, a very uh, off-peak period, trying to, trying to really surgically match, uh, match supply with demand. Their reliability has improved and all that. It's expensive to do that. They uh, indeed are, are are getting there. I mean, look, one thing too is that I think as fares overall stabilize and and um, you know begin rising off their lows, it, it's reasonable to think that just that 
uh, environment overall is good for spirit. And I'm saying that because if you go back a few years, I remember talking on this show about Spirit's former CEO, Ben Baldanza, uh, had, had identified as, as uh, he called it fair compression, if I recall correctly, back when 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 fares were uh, tumbling and, and Spirit Never, and Spirit could no longer win on price alone, as they had as had they had long done. So they kind of found themselves in this in this uh, uncomfortable new environment. You know, for for a while there, uh, the early part of this decade, prevailing airfares were rather high. You know, whether or not you really wanted to fly Spirit, if it could save you, you know, hundreds of dollars, especially a family flying together. Who knows? You know, sometimes closer to a thousand dollars on a round trip, depending on the on the market. Uh, there were a lot of people who flew Spirit just because it was cheap. And then all of a sudden, when when you know, fuel fell and capacity grew, and you had other airlines out there with really low fares, you know, when when JetBlue's out there charging thirty nine dollars for a one way ticket, as as they were in some cases, well, by definition, Spirit can't save you hundreds of dollars over over thirty nine dollars, uh, and it became tough for for them, and, and so they they just kind of found themselves competing in a in a in a, in a more uncomfortable environment, and now they you know as as fares rise a little bit that just kind of gives them more room I, you know i know they say now they're not always even the cheapest option and so forth but you know for an airline it's always to some degree going to be about low fares it, it just gives them some more room to maneuver so that that's an environment that they would welcome one where uh fares on other airlines are uh are are rising and and um where you know sometimes at least they can continue to win on 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 cost even as they do some of these other things that they're doing, like you know, adding Wi-Fi to their planes and and, and so forth. They, by the way, think there's also uh, opportunity with their their co-branded credit card uh, to do things better there. They're going to relaunch their frequent flyer program. We'll have to see what that looks like uh, too. So, if Spirit, with its 16.1 percent operating profit margin, narrowly missed leading its U.S. peers in the Q3, who beat them? The answer is Hawaiian with a 16.6 operating profit margin. That's not much of a surprise. Hawaiian has been cruising for a while now. After all, this was the second most profitable airline in the world for all of 2017. We should say in Hawaiian's case, the trajectory is different. Uh, so for Spirit, I mean, this is triumphant uh, to have not only a high margin in the absolute, but also to have, you know, just, just not slept at all year over year. In Hawaiian's case, very different story as far as that. I, I mean, they were at 24% last year down to 16% now. But guess what? That's 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 what that's you put yourself in that position where you can have things uh, slip a lot and still be in a rather good spot. Not only a rather good spot, you said it. They're still the best, still the highest Q3 margin uh, among U.S. carriers despite that fall. And, you know, in their case, you know, fuel prices, as as you might expect, were up a lot. And by the way, there's thir- up 37 uh, percent fuel costs. Fuel costs, you know, are are. I mean, they matter a lot to all airlines. They're the most important cost air, cost input for a lot of airlines, especially when they're expensive. Sometimes when fuel is cheap, you pay more for for some more on labor, maybe. But um, but you know, so you'd think, well, that maybe they're just kind of important in proportion to all airlines. Uh, you know, just kind of overall cost. Not really the case. The longer haul the airline, the more important fuel costs are. It's just just kind of the economics of longer haul flying. And and sure enough, did the analysis in in Dio. And Hawaiian among the major airlines is the second longest haul of, of, of U.S. airlines. And you may, that might sound obvious because, well, they're flying from Hawaii. But they also do all the inter-island flying. They have a lot of these really short flights. But even when you add it all up, 
basically behind just United among major airlines, Sun Country, actually, uh, if you kind of get into slightly smaller airlines, a little bit more. So an airline that you would expect to be impacted by these higher fuel costs, and in fact, they are, and yet they remain as profitable as they've been. Looking forward, it does get a little trickier. Pricing in Hawaii is clearly uh, under pressure right now, thanks to competition, thanks to uh, you had, of course, over the summer, the typhoon there that that made things uh, tough. Okay. As we get into the last act of this episode, I want to talk about two disappointments and then we'll end on a high note as is our way in the Airline Weekly Lounge. <laughs> so a uh, disappointing result came from JetBlue. Remember, JetBlue had the worst margin decline among US carriers in the second quarter. And in the third quarter, they have not righted the ship. The airline posted a 10% operating profit margin, which doesn't sound bad, but Remember, it's the peak quarter, and last year in this quarter, JetBlue posted a 17% margin. Right. So in their case, you know, not good both in the absolute, you know, 10% is not what you would put up in the third quarter, and uh, in terms of the, the decline, they're not in that spot that what we said Hawaii was in, where just, you know, they had an extremely high margin and, and, and could afford that that kind of a tumble. Look, they, they do have some sort of market-specific issues, kind of like American. We said Latin America, you know, for, for JetBlue, Puerto Rico, very important to them, still struggling. Cancun, uh, the security concerns there for American travelers, uh, even though Cancun's doing fine for Mexico domestic travelers, for other international carriers, but U.S. travelers have been avoiding Cancun. Uh, Haiti, another market. Boston is tough. Delta, you know, doing their big build up there. So that's not easy. Orlando is a place where JetBlue has had a nice presence. And that spirit has added a lot of new markets there. JetBlue got out of Washington, Dulles, St. Croix, Daytona Beach. So you have to figure out those uh, markets were were, uh, were doing poorly. It's, it's uh, just, just, just a number of, of tough markets. That said, you know, we talked earlier about American, how how it's we said it's problems were really revenue problems, not cost problems. JetBlue kind of the opposite. Definitely those revenue issues I just mentioned, but big cost issues too. Their fuel costs were up 48%. Not so surprising considering that they also are growing a little bit more than than uh, than other airlines. But labor costs up 11%. So that too, you know, in, in excess of their of their capacity growth. They're uh, they're trying to get their hands around it. Uh, they they actually you know had their first round of layoffs uh, with sort of non frontline employees just a few months back. Maintenance costs they're on top of it. They're trying to improve their operations. That's expensive too. It's kind of an operationally messy airline compared to uh, some of its peers. Actually dialing down capacity growth. They're going to be growing about five to seven percent last year. That's less than they planned. Which actually puts upward pressure on your unit costs as an airline. When you're not growing as much, it, it puts you know it, it puts upward pressure on your unit costs because you're not gaining as much additional scale as you planned. But in their case, uh, you know they're betting that the the benefit to unit revenues of of dialing down the capacity growth is going to outweigh the negative impact on unit costs. And uh, let's keep watching here. Are they going to fly to Europe? Are they going to take those A321neoLRs or not? Still a question for for JetBlue. Okay, if JetBlue is uncomfortable, Allegiant might be downright miserable. How's this for declining returns? In Q3 of 2015, Allegiant posted a 26% operating margin. That fell to 23% the following summer, then 12% last summer, and this summer... Allegiant earned just 7%, the lowest figure of any U.S. airline. Yeah, really remarkable. Now, in fairness to them, uh, they don't peak during the third quarter. And the more of a Florida airline they become, and they've become, been becoming more of a Florida airline, uh, the less they peak in the third quarter. Florida tends to peak in 
you know colder months. And, and by the way, that's true. What, what I said. I mean, it's, it's it's a bigger gulf now between the two quarters. But even back when they posted that twenty six percent in the third quarter, believe it or not, that wasn't the high quarter that year. It was. I think I saw like a thirty uh, percent in in the second quarter. I went back and looked earlier. You know. So 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 yeah. They don't need to have their peak quarter in the third, but but you want to be doing better than seven percent if you're them. Uh, you know, fuel a big part of the story for them. Revenues, uh, very different from from Spirit in this regard. Spirit, of course, the other major publicly traded ultra low-cost carrier. Uh, we talked about a Spirit, you know, managed to just, just really match the cost increases with the revenue increases. Very different for uh, for for Allegiant. In its case, its unit revenues actually declined on 13% more capacity, more available seat capacity, uh, available seat mile capacity. That's compared to Spirit, which grew its unit revenue 6% despite 25% more capacity. And it's hard to grow your unit revenues when you're you're growing your capacity a lot. That actually puts downward pressure on your unit revenues. So uh, so very, very different here. So yeah, hard to say what exactly is uh, is driving this, and, and and they do have some messy stuff that's going to be in the past soon. Uh, you know, this is an airline that had a, a somewhat of a complex fleet. You know, seven fifty sevens until not too recently. They still have the MD eighty eight or the MD eighty series aircraft, I should say. Uh, you know, in addition to the Airbus, the MD eighties are going to be gone soon. Be all A three nineteens and three twenties soon. That that's um the you know the sort of the the pilot training costs of transitioning pilots. All that's going to be in the past pretty soon. So there's some reasons for hope, uh, but still right now, a lot of investor skepticism, not least about that real estate project down in uh, Southwest Florida. So uh, uh, we'll see here going forward. You know, right now, there's still an airline that when you look on sort of the, the global profitability tables, you know, they, they have been right up there. They were top 10 airlines still last time we run the, we ran a 12 month table uh, just a few months back. Uh, so, so on an annual basis, they're still a very strong airline, but one, yeah, with some trends that you would uh, like to see stabilizing. Lastly, we turn to Alaska Airlines, who has been dealing with its fair share of challenges lately. And they continued in Q3, where Alaska saw year over year margins decline from 22% down to 12%. But I promised we'd end the show on a high note. Seth, don't let me down. Is this all that bad for Alaska? <laughs> uh, no, no, you know, the, in the sense that they, well, first of all, yeah, they had they 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 had established those uh, those high numbers to begin with, so they had a lot of cushion. And yeah, so first the bad. I mean, let's let's you know, prior to that quarter, those operating margins were also down three quarters in a row, down more than any other airline. Uh, so so they've been in the. Uh, uh, well, also in the crosshairs, of course, in, of a Delta attack. We mentioned what's going on with JetBlue in Boston, but Delta for years has been attacking Seattle. Uh, you've got the fair wars in California, just brutal with Southwest and others. Uh, the merger integration, they, they're still, you know, in the they're still going through that. But that is now largely in the past. They're getting past that huge opportunity to be able to really put the airplanes, you know, where they belong up until now because of, uh, uh, you know, because of, of labor and other operational issues that they haven't been able to really optimize the fleet. You know, send the old Virgin Airbus planes where they should really go and, and the uh, Alaska Boeings where, where they should be. And now they're, they're going to be able to do that. Operations are, are, uh, are getting better. You know, one thing they, for, for a long time they had, uh, a lot of immature markets. They were growing very rapidly, just almost by definition. You know, new markets 
don't tend to profit right away. And so when a really big percentage of your flying is new flying, it, 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 it just gets tough. That's, that's changed. Now they just, just, um, you know, they've, they've dialed it down to where those markets that are open less than 12 months are a much smaller percentage of, of what they do as an airline. So yeah, o- overall, it seems like a lot of the bad stuff could be in, a pe- in the past. They're, they're another one that, you know, when you look at just sort of all airlines in the world, they're a lot closer to the, to the top of the list uh, than the bottom. But but you do want to see sort of confirmation at some point here of the, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the margin decline uh, stopping and, and uh, then hopefully from their perspective, reversing itself sometime soon. I knew you could do it. All right. That includes, uh, that concludes our tour of the U.S. airlines sector in the third quarter. As always, if you like the show, share it with your colleagues. They can subscribe to the Airline Weekly Lounge through iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever they get their podcasts. They can also subscribe at AirlineWeekly.com. For Seth Kaplan, I'm Jason Cottrell. Thanks for spending some time with us. 